Hello and welcome to episode two of A Toast to the End of the World with myself, Sam Cox. And me, Will Peverty Pond. Today we're going to be looking at the internet, but uh, first, a toast, I think. So, Will, what are you, uh, what are you going to be toasting today? Well, I think I'm going to be toasting, I guess, the predominant, well, one of the predominant news stories of the week, which is the new Independent Party. You absolutely stole my toast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to toast the Independent Party because... Well, I guess, you know, it's quite a seismic change or a possibility of a seismic change in British politics, no matter what they end up standing for, which is something I'm still not quite sure of. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if you can enlighten me on that, but whatever it is, I think the idea of a new political party in the British um, environment will be a good thing. So. Yeah, I, um, like I said, you stole my choice, but I won't hold that against you. Um, no, I completely agree. It was actually really... Um, really nice to see a bunch of Labour MPs and a bunch of Conservative MPs going together in the benches and just shaking hands and talking to each other. And these are people that over the last two years especially have become so polarised and far away from one another. And you think this is the kind of politics that should be happening. Yeah, definitely. I, at this time in in our um, in our political land, in political arena, as it were, our landscape, how you want to say it, we need cohesion, and this is a first glimpse into that, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I think bipartisanship is something that should be very much encouraged at the moment. That's the word. Uh, only because we're facing issues which are so above party politics. Yeah. Um, do you know I was really thinking about that on the way down here. I was listening to a podcast about universal credit, mm. and it was kind of hitting me about how, well, I guess the point they were making in the podcast is that the policies that were set up by Labour, or at least were investigated by Labour 10 years ago, are now being enacted to a certain extent by the Conservative government mm. and how so many of the issues are bipartisan issues and it seems mm. kind of ridiculous that they're just passed over like that between administrations. Has there been a, a release of a, well, I suppose there wouldn't be a manifesto yet, but some form of like proto-document that says what the interdependent group will stand for, do you know? No, not that I've um, read. I mean, I actually read in the I newspaper yesterday about um, Lib Dems coming forward, Vince Cable, saying to the independent group, you know, we should all join forces and um, face this issue of Brexit and together and move forward together. Um, apparently it was rejected. Um, so I, I By the independent group? I believe so, yeah. That's a shame, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I find that extremely strange because in yeah. a time when they are uh, doing this bipartisanship uh, or enacting this bipartisanship, they are effectively pushing someone else away. And I thought that was a really strange one, but uh, who knows? It, I mean, unfortunately, the Democrats are painted either in a very good light or a very bad light, depending on who, you, who you're asking. It would be apparent to most people that the Liberal Democrats haven't been a particularly forceful or effective party in the political landscape have they no. for a while now no I, mean, well, I suppose since the coalition essentially well yeah that's strange i mean i do find that really odd because a lot of the um policies that were enacted during the coalition um a lot of the more effective ones were actually enacted by the liberal democrats especially in the arena of uh, education except of course um university fees which obviously riled a lot of people for obvious reasons yeah but they haven't done themselves any favors because of that and they just no matter what they say no matter how any good their intentions are they've got to shake that shadow first before yeah before going on it's a shame isn't it because it's not something i think we're getting to here now but i didn't particularly mind nick Clegg. there are some aspects of no. i quite liked <laughs> um but you know we will live in hope to hope that maybe the independent group is something we can agree with and something that does become a force for good and or not maybe a force for good's wrong word but does become does shake up the system as you said i think that's a really mm. good term of saying it i know that i've taken your 
No, uh, oh. what can I taste? The weather's nice. There you go. <laughs> the weather is nice. Today it's nice and sunny. Well, I did have a backup toast. So, oh, what is this? Go on. Well, I guess the other big news story of the week, and whereas that other toast was a positive or hopefully positive toast, I think this one's probably more of a negative toast. So this is a toast to the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. in a, a way, which closer. is the case of. Now, please excuse my pronunciation here, but the case of Shamina Begum, the yeah, yeah, uh, the young woman who is well looking to return to England um, after having been in Syria mm-hmm. within uh, so-called Islamic State territory or East with them, and that's something that's got me. I'm going to say a bit down this week. People's attitude towards it, and it's just my own personal opinion. But yeah. okay. Yeah, I think we should. I think we. Oh, I want to dig at that, but <laughs> I mean, what's your take on it? Personally, I think I think we're wrong to strip her of her British citizenship, and also, I think we'd be wrong not to let her back in. I, I'm not saying you know we should welcome her back and she can resume life mm. as she left it. I think it was 2015, was it? She, yes, she left. Yeah, as she left it. But I kind of agree with. Um, I think it was like George Osborne who wrote in the week. I saw. Something oh, to him. He, he wrote a little article, and I don't often agree with George Osborne, but, mm. and that's a sentiment many people had online. <laughs> I, I do agree with what he wrote here that we have a responsibility. Like she was rad- radicalized mm. here in England, and she's still a British citizen. I think we have a responsibility to bring her back. And could she not be a source of intelligence? Like, uh, and, and, and mm. could we not, through talking to her, maybe reassess how people are radicalized, radicalized, and seek to so combat that issue in the future? So would you say that you would rather she came back into the country um, still as a British citizen, but you would maybe, um, maybe prison is the wrong thing, but you'd have a in, in no. some kind of incarceration? Well, I don't think it's my decision or even I should comment on whether that should happen. I think she should face whatever form of justice, justice a court of this land deems for her. But I just, I do agree with that sentiment in his article that she was radicalised here. She left here, but she's still a British citizen, and I think that I just don't like the idea that we can be stripped of our citizenship like that. Hmm. So, and then also on another level, and this is something else he put in his article, which I really, it's re- I read this on the tube, and it really chimed with me. Her child, you know, her child has no place in this. Like, her her child may have been born in these circumstances, but it doesn't agree with these circumstances, for all we know. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on um, probably the child front. I think. Because I do believe that any child should be given the best opportunities they can possibly get. Yeah, and I think we should definitely um, we should definitely welcome her child back into the country. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you on a lot of parts, especially the the British uh, citizenship. Obviously, it was taken away by um, Sajid. Uh, I pronounced his name Sajid Javid. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I'm really bad at this. We we will edit that. So yeah, you get it in one. Yeah, <laughs> just get just get a news clip of someone else saying it. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think that was a very i don't know it chimes me that it's a good thing that they can do it especially when someone um you know says to a reporter that you know they don't care what they did they don't yeah. really think it was wrong but you know they just want to come back to uh, make sure their child had a better yeah upbringing i'd say respect that wish and yes let her child um i'm still on the edge on the fence about letting her back in yes i completely agree with you she could be a source of intelligence but i think it's just her very lackadaisical approach to just how she's treating 
the freedom of being able to come back into the country. I think that's yeah. a bit. That's I think that's the main issue of contention that's there. That's an interesting point. But maybe though, by bringing her back and putting her on trial, whatever it might be, mm. that might change her outlook on that and change her perspective mm. and change her opinion on it. And I guess as well, something I think we should keep in mind is that we're talking about her child, mm. but she herself was a child when she was. Mm. Radicalized when she left, like she was fifteen, yeah. wasn't she? When she left, I think like, she was fifteen. Yeah, I'm sure she was. You know, that's a that's a child. Mm. Like, and I saw some things on like Facebook. People have been posting up what what I would say were quite cruel clips. Mm. Um, like her receiving the news and crying into cut with video clips from television shows of people laughing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's too far. Yeah, I think that's way too far. Yeah, me too. I, think I mean, too far. this weird dramatization we we have to dramatize everything in our lives right now yeah everything that appears on online is either meant to make you feel exactly one way or exactly the other yeah um i mean that's funny enough something we're going to be talking about something today I guess. Talk about <laughs> else. no but um, I, I do agree with you so it, it puts it within a narrative doesn't yeah, it yeah exactly say it's a you got you narrative in this sense mm. not not unlike you've been framed in some ways yeah and it's a way of viewing that situation uh, when actually I guess the proper way, at least what I would say the proper way to view it is mm. it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's more, it's like a, um, it has to be caricatured. Mm-hmm. So what is an ordinary situation just gets blown out of proportion. I mean, it reminds me of Running Man. Yeah. The way they dramatise these people well, really on, on the TV. And, yeah. um, and I think that sort of is starting to feel more like reality now. I mean, yeah. forgetting the, you know, bad haircuts and spandex. It's definitely starting to feel like that kind of strange, <laughs> overly produced entertainment TV, and it's, yeah. it's anyway. We'll talk about that throughout this. Podcast. No, yeah, but yeah. So I guess those. Are, well, I think those were two. Those were two common your... topics to toast. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, it leads us straight onto our topic this week, and which I is think... the internet. What, what about the internet? Do you think would be interesting to talk about? My main gripe with the internet, and it's not a gripe. Um, well, it starts as something positive, and it turns into something that's very annoying um is the fact that to remember what the internet is meant for you have to look at a bit of its history um it's obviously during the cold wars it was created by um arpa which is now darpa or the advanced research uh, projects agency and originally it was meant to be a network of uh, people to share information and it continued to be that um well into the 80s um but then it became like a very commercial ground because a lot of people saw the potential of it and obviously it has a massive potential yeah of course. so it went from this sharing of information and files or uh, packets as they called it in, back in the day um and now it's uh, a breeding ground for a lot of false information so i think that's my that's my gripe what's, the, what's meant to be a scientific endeavor is sort of being hijacked and I, yeah. I, that's what annoys me i guess as well when i was doing my, my research for this episode the thing that really struck me was that um i don't think i'd ever really thought about the difference between the internet and the browser or yeah. the, the form of accessing the internet mm. so you know I, I just kept writing my notes internet and then eventually i came to the conclusion well maybe i should i, I do need to differentiate these things which you just done so well um is that the internet is different from what well as tim berners lee mm. invented which is the browser mm-hmm. which as well that's that exactly why he invented it invented it kind of reflects <laughs> your sentiments there in mm. that he invented it or at least i think his intention from what i could read into him was that he wanted to advance information and learning and to help mm. people for that invention and famously never copyrighted it yeah so he could um so people could use it because obviously you know we couldn't do this podcast mm-hmm. without that access to the internet 
that invention of that browser. And also as well, we kind of are, I think, maybe the first true internet or the first true browser generation, like. Yeah, I mean, I remember the days, oh gosh, like a fossil. I mean, you're not even that old. In, in technological yeah. terms, you feel like a fossil. But uh, back in the day, you'd get on your bike, pedal around your friend's house just to see if they're in. And um, <laughs> nowadays, you just you know open up a group chat yeah, <laughs> and like and you're there, you get a massive hit, party yeah, in in minutes. Um, I guess I always think of like to say, I don't know if this is a proper definition, but to say one is the first generation for something, you know, whether it's the first radio generation, first TV generation, is if you can remember a time before it, isn't it? So yeah. You, so you know that difference, of course. Yeah. So I wouldn't think people born like I was born in eighty seven, you were born in eighty eight. Eighty eight. So the, the browser was invented. I've got it down here, nineteen eighty nine, and then developed in nineteen ninety. So wow. You know, we, we remember times before that in the early 90s. Yeah. And we can know that difference mm. between it. That's the thing. Like, the internet, my first touch of technology was the Nokia 3210. And I remember getting that phone and being like, yes, I can finally text my friends. You can finally play hours of Snake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the one where it had, like, the um, the barrier around the edge? Uh, or where you no, no, that, that came in in the 3310. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that is... Uh... I'm, I'm just getting ahead of us now. Oh, yeah, I know. You're racing ahead from the Nokia 3210. <laughs> But no, I remember thinking, oh, brilliant, I can uh, text my friends. And then you realise it's like 10p a text. And it's, it's, that, that's, yeah. that was my first touch with technology yeah, I before I bought a bulky laptop about yeah. two years later. And it's massively evolved since. Yeah. My first uh, interaction with it was when we got our first computer, mm. which I guess I should ask my dad, but I guess it probably would have been 95. It ran Windows 95. Wow. Um, I never really used a computer before, so... The way it had this program on it where you could, instead of like browsing the way you would now with a desktop with your start menu down the bottom and mm. the icons on the left hand side, at least on mine on the left hand, usually on the right on the app, isn't it? Um, <laughs> they have to be different. Um, <laughs> Got to side, had a program where it mimicked a house. So you'd start in the living room and you'd go to the playroom to play games. Wow. You'd go to the office to do office type things. And I believe you went upstairs to the study to go on the internet. And it kind of mimics, yeah, like a 3D house almost, which when you look back now is kind of odd. It's almost like, you know, in, in one's head, in one's young mind, it kind of <laughs> replicated your own living environment with the computer. Your computer is your new living environment, I suppose. Life cannot function no. without the internet anymore. Definitely not. If the internet went down tomorrow, I think we would have what every single area of our lives would be affected. Yeah. The way the food gets to our supermarkets, the way the electricity yep. gets to our bulbs, everything would be affected to a detrimental effect, most likely. Yeah, that's what worries me. I mean, it's actually part of our very infrastructure, not just our mobile phones. Mm -hmm. It's It literally, as you say, it provides electricity to our houses. And however, although I do not think Die Hard 4 was a good movie, <laughs> it had a very great thing <laughs> that the hacker... Um, obviously infiltrated the utilities mm -hmm. and everything just got locked down and i think yeah you know could that happen and then you sort of sit there and think yeah maybe it could yeah, possibly. <laughs> you know, what's that quote or you know that phrase people say you know um, society's two or three mils away from chaos you yeah know? that's a brilliant you know, quote yeah. yeah it's a great quote mm. and i've completely misquoted it. it's probably something different but i think the sentiment is the same yes <laughs> um, <laughs> very much if you had access to uh, the internet you probably could control things. You mm. probably could control the controls that operate utilities and mm. the way you receive all our means and all respects: heat, water, food, lighting. See, I really want to talk about the singularity, but that might be another. What's the singularity? The singularity is um, 
where I'm going to define this really badly. Its definition is probably escapes me entirely, but it's pretty much where you give um, the internet or an artificial intelligence uh, free reign. Mm-hmm. Um, so you no longer limit what information goes into an information uh, into a um, let's just personify it and say a robot. Mm-hmm. If you give it ac- free access to everything, it reaches a singularity, so it has access to information yeah. globally. Um, that's something that um, would frankly scare the life out of me because rationally it might say that humans are overpopulating the planet and just yeah. think, ah, let's, you know, <laughs> just cut off are electricity you get into, here. Um, or are we getting into a Skynet territory? Oh, we're getting into Skynet territory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, something I'm going to bring up later, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, talking about the theme of uh, information, mm. something which I think about quite often with the internet is the fact that it is a place where anybody mm-hmm. can upload anything, any information they want, and then that information can be accessed by seemingly anybody else who has access to the internet. Yeah. Um, and I guess the big, argu- well, a big topic in the recent couple of years has been regulation, mm-hmm. or uh, whether that be imposed by an outside source or self-regulated by the major providers and platforms, mm-hmm. um, how that information is monitored and how what the information people uh, receive and look at is monitored. Um, where do you sit on the fence with that? Well, do you it's th- a tough one, isn't it? Mm. In doing you know, a little bit of research into this, mm. I watched this really interesting um, news report from BBC. I think it was from Newsnight from last year. How should the internet be regulated? It's a BBC Newsnight article. It's on, it's on YouTube, published mm. February 7th last year. Uh, it's got nearly 6,000 views. And in that, they talk about this piece of legislation in America mm-hmm. Uh, that's part of the Communications Decency Act, okay, 1996 in America, and it was passed. And within that, it has this phrase: "No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of the information provided by another information content provider." Wow. Okay. So that's so what that basically says is, if you are if you're the provider of that service mm. or the user, you can't be held responsible. Hmm. If somebody else publishes something else, which you then read or provide on that service. So in the article, they, or this little film, they basically then unpack that a little bit. Hmm. And they say it originally comes from, strangely enough, um, I guess it's, a little, it's overtaken, uh, le- legislation around bookshops to say that a bookseller shouldn't have a duty of care to read every book it sells. Okay, And right, agrees yeah. with every book it sells. Hmm. But then the article then unpacks that further to say, but there were gatekeepers and they were publishers because a publisher can be prosecuted for something it does. Mm. But now this article could be interpreted, and I think it is interpreted by major internet providers to mm. say that they're not publishers of material. They're just providers. So without that gatekeeper, and that's a phrase they use, mm. nobody is or nobody you know, could keep a check on what's being published. Sure. And to me, I don't think I agree with regulation from an outside source but I do think I believe in greater self-regulation from internet platforms what you have is this universal tool yeah everyone in the world can have access to it well maybe depending on uh, where you're from yeah unfortunately yeah Yeah, unfortunately Um, yeah big shame everyone everyone should have the right to internet I'm actually a believer in that but um, I'd agree with you on that what you have is this in uh, this universal tool what you have inside this tool is a bunch of different factions. So you have different nations that would really advance their own agendas yep. using the internet, or they would 
restrict certain uses of the internet. I think as we've seen in China where they yeah. restricted certain uh, social media platforms. And this is where it gets a bit complica- complicated because each individual nation has got to therefore enforce its own rules. So therefore, like you say, it should come down to someone like um, or the administrators of Facebook or yeah. um, WhatsApp, whatever. Yeah, Twitter, Google, whatever it might yeah. be. One of the big Yahoo. Yeah, yeah. Yahoo. Any still, major yeah. provider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But would that be just under the provider? So would you force it entirely onto them, or would you say that the government has legislation that they can put in place on that provider when they provide a service to a given country? Well, that's a very good point. I guess that's something... I think we spoke about it off mic last time, that um, we spoke about Star Trek. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And my complete (laughs) naff up of the name. It didn't make it to the cut, unfortunately, but we spoke about how in Star Trek they have no countries as such, one Mm. wide government. And I suppose... The internet has advanced at such a rate that it kind of has outgrown the concept of individual countries governing themselves. Isn't right, it? It's something okay, which yeah. runs past countries. Mm. And is there any other service in the world that does that? Like television services don't and content providers don't. No. Healthcare services don't. But the internet does. It exists outside of the state-based system which we've built up on this planet. Mm. Um, so it is tough, isn't it? But I think I would feel more comfortable with maybe government legislation that holds the providers accountable more yeah. for how they do it. So it's not actually the government regulating it themselves. Mm. It's the providers being held more accountable. This is, I mean, recently, um, actually it was just yesterday, they uh, said that Facebook um, is ditching one of its data mining services that's actually aimed at children. Um, I found that really like, really interesting because I thought, like, what were they doing mining children's data? I mean, obviously it's to get usability and... Yeah. People like Facebook, uh, Twitter, their entire business model is uh, built around attention. So they um, obviously get paid for grabbing people's attention, which is a really strange concept. Like you could, yeah. you just, I, I couldn't envisage that kind of those words coming out of my yeah. mouth five years ago, let alone you know, or ten years ago, whatever. So they have a business model. Yeah. So I'm wondering how easy it's going to be for providers to move away from a business model where their sole intention is to grab your sorry the sole intention is to grab your attention yeah and i do wonder about how their business model would be um not restricted but uh, obviously have things imposed on it by governments to say um you know you can't do certain things that's yeah. that's understandable my worry is that internet moves so quickly that will government legislation keep up with yeah. say a new uh, program that's been released so it's such a difficult area. It's, it's, it is, it's isn't it? I suppose, I suppose if we were talking about it in terms of, um, like I was reading an article in Forbes as well, uh, which I could provide the link for maybe in the show notes, um, and they kind of asked the base question, who does the who does the responsibility lie with? Does it mm. lie with the government, the publisher, the provider, <laughs> or the consumer? So that's basically four factions. And if you were to talk about it, in terms of it lies with the provider, mm. it would mean that they would have a responsibility to make sure that whatever their algorithms and data mining services are drawing you to give to your attention, to hold your attention, mm. is stuff that should be on their platform, sure, morally or legally. Well, I've got a uh, quote here from the Global Ethics Network for Applied Ethics. Uh, it actually determines that, um, or states quite clearly, that private sector enterprises should take the initiative in introducing ethics into the information society. Yeah. Quote, unquote. See, that sounds really interesting, doesn't it? Because I guess, essentially, uh, an algorithm which exists 
to watch, say, what you know, you Sam are looking at on Twitter or mm. on Facebook. You know, and I'm sure there's companies out there that can mine all that data together into one source and run an algorithm, which will then throw back to you adverts on the side of your page or content links it thinks you want to see hmm. to gain your to gain your attention. They they work without ethics essentially. Mm. It's a it's a computer program with sure. no sense of ethics. It's, mm. it's not a person no, of course. doing that. So that's really interesting. It's almost saying mm. like they need to operate within an ethical system, mm. isn't it? Or to take those considerations into regard. But then And that puts responsibility on the provider in that sense, uh, doesn't it? But I think this is this is when I was researching this, like I end up going around in circles because um you can either say that administrators and um those that write the code should get involved personally i mean that's i think that's an impossible task yeah because to put a team of people onto what billions of people are putting on the internet is 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 yeah unmanageable unless you do it using um yeah i tried to find the facts systems. of how many google searches there are a day yeah. uh, and there's many conflicting figures but most of them were in the the millions of course yeah. you know what i mean which is Incredible. incredible amount of information to try and process so yeah but then you wonder would that would the, are we going into the territory of uh, limiting technically free speech yeah so if you're trusting um, a digital gatekeeper to stop certain information getting through are you limiting what people can say yeah of course of course and then you um yeah so self self-regulation mm. could be used as i suppose uh it could lead to their agenda exactly yeah it provides an obligation to provide all information. It can it can run its own agenda. So you're mm. right. Self-regulation could lead to uh, hindering of free speech to better fit the needs of whatever provider mm. is self-regulating itself. And of course, whatever provider is, uh, however they get their income, mm. they get their income from Coca-Cola or a soft drink <laughs> brand, and they don't like some particular thing on there. Then that is that could lead to them stopping that coming through. If brands have too much control. Um, over things like uh, social media platforms or um, just even if they advertise on blogs and things like that anyone might feel obliged to give their company extra credit or not say anything negative about them so I think where there's um, interest there's always going to be a lack or a a lack of free speech um, and more of a, a grouping towards something that is obviously paying the money Yeah, I mean I think recently Esther McVeigh one of the uh, politicians of the Conservative Party actually wrote into a clause of charities that they could not say anything negative about Esther McVeigh and the, the program she was putting forward. And well, in the charities that she supported? Or yeah, yeah. Part. So she said, it's, it's pretty much a clause saying that, you know, we will promote your cause, you don't say anything bad about us. And I think that's very negative because if a new, uh, about the entire party as well. So yeah. if they enacted something onto those charities, they technically had a, they could silence them. Yeah. And I thought that was... It seems very dangerous to me if you're a charity. It's extremely it's, dangerous, It's yeah. handcuffing what you can say. Exactly. And for a charity, social media and the internet, it's a huge tool mm. to reach people. Exactly, yeah. Um, so if we were to go down the route of self-regulation then by the providers, mm. it could lead to these issues, couldn't it? Yeah. I think so. the government as well, we were talking about government regulation. Also, it comes with a cost, hmm. doesn't it? Like, you would think, you know, we have departments for health, education welfare mm. that have existed well i suppose some of them for 60 70 years some of them for longer than that mm. if we were if they were going to do serious regulation they would probably need a department 
for internet, mm. uh, which would be a much better name than what I just called it there. Yeah, department department for that there net. Um, <laughs> things are always tight, it seems, and where are they going to find the money from that? Money would have to be diverted from another source. So yeah, I wonder if that's another consideration sometimes the government might take into account. Whether that's right or wrong, mm. I'm not saying. But No, I wholly agree. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, they always, like you say, we, we had a program of austerity to try and um, to tackle the financial costs that we suffered. Yeah. And to make some money back, as it were. But um, no, if they can't find money for a lot of public services, they're not going to put it on something like yeah Facebook or Google. And that's another thing, actually, because the government will not move that money across to, say, create a internet division yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, but a lot of regulation at the moment or, or um, reactions to um, someone putting up, um, let's say, disturbing content or content that is... Um, deemed strange illegal whatever the people that are actually policing that are the police and their budgets um are stretched uh besides it's a small division in the police that's doing this and that is who polices the internet you know it's just it's just the the country's uh enforcement so i find that really strange because how can you have this all-encompassing thing such as the internet and facebook whatever you want to um like google you have these like I said, a universal tool that is effectively just being picked every now and then. Yeah. Nothing's being regulated. Nothing's being finalized. It's just, like I say, people reacting to things that are going on, on the internet and it's it's purely a reactionary measure. Yeah, of course. Like in that Forbes article I mentioned earlier, which mm. we would definitely provide the link for, they gave, and I think that was written in July last year, they gave the figure that each month over 484,000 Google searches take place globally using keywords that return results dominated by extremist material. So obviously Jesus. that's a huge amount of searches. Mm. And as you say, if you have these small government departments that are trying to police that, mm. you know, that's a man standing against a wave, isn't it? So but is this, yeah. is this um, things that definitely are, um, say, terror-related, for instance, or is it like, things it, that just may allude to? May allude to, right, or okay, at least yeah. I would probably think were connected. Sure. Probably worded in a way that it would need further investigation to say whether it definitely is related sure. to that. Um, yeah. Well, that's quite interesting. I mean, um, another thing, I recently watched the movie of the, or Snowden, the Snowden oh, movie, yeah. um, and it highlighted a very important point. They, if you say there were one um, terrorist in the Middle East, and if you looked at their friends and looked at their friends, their friends, it would create a web of hundreds of thousands of people. And you can't, police that no and especially since the links would be so tenuous and gossamer thin that why would you so it's strange you, you cannot i think i that, think this goes back to the putting the um writing a code or creating some sort of uh, system that li- finds these things but it would just go around in circles chasing draws people away from it exactly yeah so um, yeah. this kind of goes i kind of feel like we're now moved back organically move back from government regulation sure. to self-regulation yeah, by yeah. the providers because that would be on them like, yeah the only people who would write that code would be the providers um or to monitor the code you know yeah if somebody's looking at uh stuff they shouldn't or stuff that i would say they shouldn't be yeah you know extremist material say and the algorithm exists just to try and find stuff that they'd be interested in mm. and the algorithm acts with no moral ethical grounds yeah then it's up to the provider to rewrite that code so it doesn't just draw people back into stuff they want to see well that's, if that stuff isn't stuff they should be yeah i mean that's crazy i mean that goes on to echo chambers i guess yes um, entirely. you got to think 
if as as is the business model if you look at um if i were to look at a funny dog video on um youtube um if i just left it on continuous play so it plays the next video it would just keep going further and further into the dog realm it's the same as if you say you were to look at someone controversial like alex jones back when he was on the um the the Info Wars guy, yeah. If you were to look at Alex Jones, you'd probably you'd go down a very strange path of a lot of right-wing conspiracy stuff. Yeah. And I know because I actually did it. Because um, no, this algorithm, yeah. whatever this algorithm would be, exists mm-hmm. as a piece of code that would say, well, he's looked at this content. Mm-hmm. We know that 80% of people who looked at this particular piece of Alex Jones content also wanted to look at this other piece of content this other provider exactly, yeah. that to be a right-wing. Hmm. Same way if you watched... You know, a famous left-wing commentator, and then provide you further famous left-wing commentators or yeah. things within that wheelhouse. Like, well, yeah, that's the thing that that very much happens. I noticed that on uh, Twitter, it would say, "Oh, this person says this," and you think, "I don't know who that person is." Yeah, um, why are you showing me? Because it they the values coincide with my own. Um, so I do find the echo chamber thing very strange. It's not just propagated by providers; it's also propagated by people. So people will go to certain things to talk. To other people and share their own uh, values and i think it is definitely down to the providers not to break up people's conversations but to break up the algorithm that tells them to keep going down an avenue of yeah say dog videos or alex jones videos yeah whatever it is you're looking at yeah um and if we talk about it so that kind of you're kind of scooting back around to self-regulation ah oh, it's always down to self-regulation it is <laughs> but then if, i found a quote from tim berners lee i couldn't mm. find when he said this i'm afraid so i can't I can't uh, give it context, but mm. just the quote just said, you affect the world by what you browse. So that quote would mm. have you believe the responsibility lays on the consumer to to think about what they look at and how that affects mm. the internet as a whole. Would you believe that people would live more mm, on the fence, for instance, between, two issue, uh, between an issue or two issues or two sides? If, for instance algorithms weren't pushing them a certain way would you would you think that someone would go to a chat room or no sorry that's wrong actually let's say that we look at um a video on brexit yeah obviously remain or leave yeah would a person look at leave and then look at remain if they weren't constantly being force-fed leave 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 or remain 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 that's a good point and Joe, I don't think I have an answer for that, Sam. I don't. I, I, I don't know. I don't. You, yeah, <laughs> I don't because know. I don't know what the alternative. I've only seen it one way. Yeah, you know. I see. Um, like it might not surprise people to know that on Twitter, I often look at left-leaning pol- political sites. Well, no, I, I, I don't. I know. <laughs> You'll be surprised. I, I don't follow. You know that Femi guy. Yeah, I yeah. Don't, I don't follow him only because I, I try not to follow people who tweet too much because yeah, it kind of clogs up your feed. He tweets a lot, mm. but I'm always getting sent. You know, you know how Twitter shows you that thing where it says this person you follow liked this video. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I'm assuming there's an algorithm out there which has seen what I've been looking at. Mm. Maybe I'm reading the Guardian, and it's gone well. Fifty percent of the people who read the Guardian like Femi's videos, mm. and this friend of Will's likes Femi's videos. So that'd be the way we show him mm. that content. So I've only experienced that and shown that anything back. Yeah, I mean, that that that's that's what does irk me a little bit i must admit in twitter now i've actually started looking more um at right-wing people not because i agree with their views but i think that if i lean one way you start leaning the other way slightly yeah you you try and find a middle ground i do follow them i don't often i, I read some awful tweets from people like you know, katie hopkins oh yeah i follow her awful. religiously because she's just such a spectacle <laughs> but um <laughs> then you've got people like nigel farage i do follow them because i believe that there should be 
uh, the middle ground and I've become more I mean example of what you were saying earlier when um, Facebook or a provider attaches onto what you say um, I used a phrase around Christmas I said oh that's a cracking idea and before I knew it uh, things are popping up in my Pinterest and in my Facebook saying oh cracking ideas for this and the other and I was like this, this is this is this is it in working I know I, I, I was loads some, of um, loads of Wallace and Gromit um, yeah pretty much <laughs> oh, cool. cracking idea Gromit but no yeah. that, that's it in action it, it is odd when you think that realistically the internet is the greatest place or the greatest form of debate ever invented yet i don't think it's probably used for debate that much no you're right i mean you never get um unless there's some like realm of the internet that i don't know of i would never imagine a group of labor supporters and a group of conservative supporters um having a forum in which they mixed and shared ideas yeah i, I don't see that maybe there is like i said i can imagine it being at a student level i don't know but i just don't see it happening so you don't really yeah. get debate you get a bunch of people grabbing information and just running their own way with it and no definitely which barricading I themselves i, I think that's way. really good to hear sam maybe it's something i'll try and do more that you do try to look at uh, more stuff than just what is your own interest or your own political standpoint, your own moral standpoint. Mm. Like, I think that sounds really good that you're trying to give yourself a wider opinion yeah, of the I, world. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, or a wider view to inform your own opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, you can't just say that the left have all the good ideas. That's just not the way it is. So you got to try and take um, bullet points from both sides, I'd say. Yeah. Okay, so now we've looked at kind of regulation mm -hmm. we've looked at echo chambers and the different factors of that mm -hmm. i guess uh, a question sam has posed to me off mic so you have to imagine how that was um <laughs> is is the internet essentially a force of good or evil and i suppose the answer is i'm gonna have to say both in, in, in my opinion which i know is the worst <laughs> answer in the world because you the internet isn't the internet is i know until that singularity exists which you're talking about mm. the internet's just a tool mm. It's like it's almost like saying is um, is a hammer a use for good you know a force of good and evil. Well, it's good because it could build your house, but it can also knock your brains in if somebody else uses it. <laughs> true, true. So, what would you think to that question? I think ultimately it is a force for good. Okay. It was the first steps in creating what is a really a planetary. And it sounds very like Star Trekky, I know, but it's like a planetary union that could exchange information. No, no, definitely. I don't. Think, I think that's perfect. Like it's it's made the world in a sense smaller in mm. a way, hasn't it? So and yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can talk with someone in whatever country you want to, and yeah. you'd have a f debate about life or just check on yeah. the weather. It doesn't matter what. Um, I think what needs to happen in order for it to continue to be a good tool or in a good place to live in the internet world is to take away business interest and um i think bias mm -hmm. bias from individuals who i don't know we have a, we have a, a system of so much information and yet we have anti-vaxxers and flat earthers yeah so I, I think if it continues to be a source of information and interconnectivity if you took the politics out of the internet it would be incredible yeah i think it would people would learn so much but what's happened is people yeah. have been so enticed by narratives that pull them away from the facts and information yeah. that it's um it's becoming more of a um, 
a tool to separate people at the moment. Yeah. And I think that needs to be overcome. I think that's so well put, Sam. Like, um, I still think it's probably a tool for both, but I hope people use it as a tool for good. Because oh, even yeah. something like, um, I was talking to uh, our friend John Paul, and he was telling me about how, you know, a good way it's used is for people who can't travel, maybe circumstances where they're on the world, whether that's financial or what else. Mm. You know, it's a way of bringing the world towards you and a way of learning about other cultures without having to do that traveling if you can't. Mm. That's an incredible use for good of the internet. I think maybe we should leave off there. Um, something else we want to say as well is that over the next couple of weeks, we'll also be releasing a couple of smaller episodes, little bite-sized things. Um, so keep keep a watch out for that. On yeah, feeds. we'll keep everyone uh, informed via the internet. And we probably should give uh, how you can find us on the internet. So Sam, mm-hmm. what, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my personal one? Yeah. Well, I'm at blurredlines.co.uk. Um, the one for this podcast is a toast podcast or at a toast podcast cool and my twitter handle is at will underscore parity pond uh love to hear from you well thank you very much for listening to us uh we appreciate your feedback maybe give us a message tell us uh if there's anything we've missed or if we've got something wrong definitely tell us about that definitely tell us about that <laughs> probably a lot of things i got wrong very little that sam got wrong because he's got a lot more notes than me so <laughs> yeah but i think i completely went over that singularity bit so. <laughs> Okay, so uh, thank you very much from me, Sam Cox, and... Thank you very much from me, Will Poverty Pond. See you soon. Cheers. Cheers.